Today I'm going to talk to you and we're going to start a new series on overcoming power. And we're going to be talking today about self-control and self-indulgent. Everybody says self-control and self-indulgence. So, so self-control is, is the ability to reject the desires to do the wrong thing. Uh, self-indulgence is uh, letting go and doing the wrong thing. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says, Like a city whose wall is broken down is a man who lacks self-control. It says that your, your uh, protection in life is all broken down if you don't exercise self-control. Uh, self-control, I've been talking to some people about how do we actually express self-control? How do we express the, the sense of obedience in, in the face of uh, opportunity to do the wrong thing? And, and it comes to my mind, it comes, to, it comes back to our relationship with Jesus, how we have our relationship with Jesus and what that relationship means to us. I want to talk to you today about overcoming, but I want to talk to you not in the sense of your ability to express uh, strong will to overcome, but your ability to be part of a body which overcomes together. Um, there, there's a sense that we are not alone in this world and that we are not islands in this world, that we are really um, part of a body and part of a family. And as we are part of a family, our ability to overcome and our ability to keep on overcoming is, is contingent on, a, on that family being around us. Uh, you don't know now because you are in a family situation with this church, you don't know the sort of things that could have happened to you if you leave, leave the fellowship and if you leave the connections that you have. There is a sort of an unspoken thing that takes place in our lives when we are fellowshipping one another with one another. There's a sort of a protection that takes place that has to do with the way that we interrelate to one another and the way we talk to one another and the things that happens between us that calls us to a holy, righteous life with one another. You know, I don't do certain things in my life because I think, you know, if I did that, how would it affect the fellowship? How would it affect my family? The, 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 the family that I have around me somehow aids in my ability to control myself. This self-control starts at the premise like I belong somewhere, I am someone in that group that I belong to and that sort of helps me. When we forget who we are and whose we are and where we belong, it's easy, easy, very easy to do whatever you want to do because there seems to be no sense of connection. And I know that... If you left the church and left the fellowship, it's like walking out in the big ugly world out there and you're going to be kind of unprotected because there's a certain protection that takes place over your life when you are part of a fellowship and when you are part of a family and when you're connected one to another. I mean, even if it's not somebody standing up and defending you, you know that if something's going wrong in your life, at least a dozen people are going to be praying for you. You know that they're going to be upholding you before the Lord in prayer. You know that they're going to be gathering around you. And there's going to be some very bold hearts that are going to come and actually talk to you and encourage you to keep on going. There is some strength together. There's some strength to overcome being together. So what I want to do today is something a little bit different. I want to take you through the passage of Galatians chapter 6. Now Jenny uh, spoke on that last week. She had a bit of a word of prophecy about Galatians 1 she said that um, uh, you who spiritual brothers and sisters if anyone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourself unless you should be tempted 
And I was reading that whole passage and I thought about what we have to do today in terms of um, overcoming. And I thought it would be good for us just to travel through the whole passage, read the whole passage and talk about the different things that are happening in the passage. And I want to do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it's important to address overcoming and self-indulgence and to talk about that issue. And number two, I want to walk with you through a passage of Scripture like a chapter and slowly think about it as we go through it and show you how to think about a passage of Scripture as you're walking through and draw from an application for your life. So oftentimes there are many, many uh, ideas that come from a passage of Scripture and we tend to take a verse here and a verse there and a verse there and we take a chapter here and we don't even read the whole book. We just take that chapter, that's my favourite chapter, you know, or that's my favourite psalm. We don't read the whole book of psalms, but we take little bits and pieces out of it. So it's good for us to slow down the process and it's good for us to sort of maybe walk through a chapter together and just watch the process of how we read and how we study and how we apply that word to our lives. Amen? So we're going to start at the very top and we're going to start, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Now this idea that the spiritual ones or those who live by the Spirit should restore the one who is tempted is a, is a, a very interesting idea because it says that if you are caught in a sin, if there's temptation in your life, then you are contagious. It's like a physical sickness. If you get the flu and you walk around and you cough and splatter over everybody, you imagine other people are going to get the flu as well. It's the same with sin. When you are caught in a sin, what Paul tells us at this place is when you are caught in a sin, it's the spiritual ones, the ones who live by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, have learned to walk with Jesus. It's those people should go and restore them. Not the weak ones, not the ones who are... You know, struggling themselves. And oftentimes you get one person here and they're struggling in their life and they're, they're going through some difficulty and then another person comes along and sits down beside them and they're struggling in their life and pretty soon you've got two struggling people who are caught in sin, struggling and getting a whole wrong perspective and the devil's got to, and he starts putting some more fuel in there. You know, and then, the, then this little group of people who are struggling starts to rise up and get all upset in church, you know, because of something, you know, it's... A, you know, that's why spiritual people who are led by the Spirit should go and minister to them because they're contagious. That's why it says, be careful when you're there. Be careful when you're talking to somebody who is sinning and who's caught in sin because there is something that will mirror from them to you and will draw you into it. The Bible says it very clearly in Corinthians, it says, bad company corrupts good morals. What does that mean? It means that if somebody is caught in a sin, they're going to be justifying why they're doing something. And when you come in, they're going to try and justify it to you. And if you are able, they will try and shift your mind so that you don't confront them in their sin. They'll try and get you to say, oh, no, everybody sins. You know, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. God still loves me. But they will try and move you from your place of drawing them into the right relationship, trying to move you to accept them and allow them to keep on sinning. It's a contagious thing. And if the minister is caught in sin, probably the whole church is sick. 
And that's how it goes. That's why you should pray for your leaders and uphold them before God that they walk in the spirit and walk not in the flesh. To keep on going. So, sin is contagious. Be thankful, thinking of that. I remember a number of years ago, I think uh, there was a lady in our church. I'm not going to mention that she's sitting here now. So, and she knows I'm probably talking about it, but that's okay. And she went to visit somebody. And, I, and she came back and she felt all the depression and the stuff that the person that she went to visit was feeling when she came back. It's like it jumped off her and jumped jumped off the person she was visiting and jumped on her and she came back. I said, it's the contagion thing. It jumps. Speak to it to tell it to leave. And that's what you have to do. So overcoming has to do with being switched on in your mind with regard to what happens when people start sinning in their lives. Being switched on and recognizing that you have to keep yourself clean and keep your mind clean and keep your heart clean before God. But it says in the second verse, it says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you should fulfill the law of Christ. So he's not saying just because somebody's caught in a sin have nothing to do with them. He's saying you may need to go there and carry their burdens for them. Don't get messed up in your head by doing that. Because it's a part of fulfilling the, fulfilling the law of Christ is to care and to go your distance with somebody. So you are responsible for somebody else. While they can contaminate you, you are still responsible for them. And there should be no sort of isolation taking place. Unless they're really, really rebellious and really, really defiant, you've got to carry their burdens. Try and help them in their situation. He says in verse 3, If anyone thinks that he is something when he, they are not, they deceive themselves. And so now he's talking to us about you know, how you view yourself. He says if somebody's sinning, you go to him if you're spiritual, but you'll watch out because you can be tempted. He says you bear one another's burdens. He says this way you're fulfilling the law of Christ. He says, but don't think that you're anything smart just because you can... Got the spirit with you. He said, remember that Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And this idea of pride, once pride starts to sneak into our lives, that's when we start to lose our focus. He's saying, always keep your focus, especially when you start to carry other people's burdens. There tends to be a pharisaical attitude, and we've heard about that. Uh, you know, like, oh, I'm glad I'm not like this boy. I'll have to carry this man's burden and help him along because he's so daft he can't carry his own. Why? Because I'm better than he is, you know. Otherwise, he would be carrying my burden, you know. There's a sense of cockiness that starts to get into our lives when we think that we're helping others. And Paul says, don't, don't have that. Get real. Recognize the only reason you can help others is because Jesus is in you and he's helping you help them. And that's how you can help others. Then he goes on and he says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anybody else. And that is the beginning of all unhappiness. This is the comparison. Look, 
He says, if you want to have an estimation of yourself, don't be looking at yourself and comparing yourself with somebody who's broken down or somebody who's hurt or somebody who's just sick. He says, don't be sitting there and saying, I'm better than them because I'm not living in sin like they are living in sin. Don't be sitting and thinking to yourself that, you know, because you're helping somebody else that you're better than them. No, he says, don't be comparing yourself to anybody else. Just look at what you're doing and judge yourself by what you're doing and then examine yourself against yourself. Don't compare yourself against somebody else because the root of comparison is the root of all evil. It comes up and it it'll destroy you if you think you're better then your pride has got you if you think you're lying then you're probably not thinking straight so don't compare turn to the person beside you and said say i don't need to compare myself to you oh that's important you know it is important you know There's so much covetousness is bound up in the comparison. We look and I, you've got new shoes on, Phil. Haven't you? No, well, I have. You want to make a comparison? You see, that's the problem. You see, we look at the clothes and we look at, we look at what people are wearing and, and, and we look at how much money they earn or the, the, you know, the, drive, the car they drive, and we make those comparisons. As soon as we make those, we look at their kids, their kids are more well-behaved than our kids. We make the comparison, make a judgment. We think, oh, I'm not a very good mother. We fail to understand that kids are kids. They're all different. It says 4 or 5, it says, um, for each of you should carry your own load. So right here we have this sort of, this sort of balancing thing. You're to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So Jesus says, Help the person out who's struggling. Help the person out who's going through a hard time. Help the person out in any way you can. Carry the burden with them. Sit with those who are grieving and grieve with them. Sit with those who are mourning and mourn with them. Do what you can do. He says, and then when it comes to you, carry your own load. Be strong. Take responsibility for your own life. And don't look to be held up. And don't take your own self and say, I don't need to be a victim. I can still carry on. So the balance is there. You're to help other people who need help, but you're not to play the victim role. Do you know what the victim role is? I'm so weak, I need you to help me. (laughs) Jesus says, you know, Jesus can help you. I can help you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So he wants you to draw into him. If you're struggling, that's okay. Someone should help you. But when, it, when you sit down and think about it, pick up your load and be strong. That's what he's saying. He says, nevertheless, the one who, reaches, who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So what he's talking about there is about the ability to be teachable in life. Teachable. Young people, when they reach about the adolescent years, they're not that teachable. Oh, they're learning lots and lots at school, and they're developing a very strong view. Well, they usually, you know, at that point of their lives, they're trying to discover who they are as opposed to who their parents are or opposed to who their friends are. They're trying to discover, what do I believe? They're trying to discover that. And as such, when you try to teach an adolescent, you generally get, I know, I know, I know, and a resistance to the teaching. 
a resistance to what you're trying to say. Look, I'm, I'm just your father. I'm just trying to tell you something. I don't want to hear what you're saying. We, that's generally what happens. Uh, the trouble is your parents were there before you and they, knew a whole, and they know a whole lot about life and adolescence than you do. They've been through that thing. They've traveled through that journey. They were there right in the middle of it all, and they survived the adolescent journey because they are old now. They must have survived it. They can give you wisdom and they can give you understanding. They have seen things that you have not seen. They have probably experienced things that you don't even know about that they have experienced when they are in their adolescent years. And if you wanted to find out, you could find out about those things that they experienced. Some of those things would be horrifying for you if you discovered what they experienced when they were in their adolescent years. And that they are talking from wisdom to you, not talking from nonsense. They know what's going on there because they were there and they did the thing they are telling you not to do because they felt the pain of what happened when they did that and they came out of it and they're coming to you, their loved one, and saying, child of mine, don't do that because it's going to wreck you if you do. And it's probably because they know they were wrecked by it themselves. So be teachable. That means learn to listen, learn to take on board and learn to hear what's being said. And then it says, it says, the one who receives instruction, so you're teachable receiving instruction, should share all good things with the instructor. So if your mum and your dad or your friend or something is giving you some guidance and instruction, then it's good for you to talk back to them, to communicate to them, to discuss things with them. Not just say, okay, I'll wait for you to stop talking, waiting for your lips to stop moving. When your lips stop moving, I'll walk away. No, stop. Let me see if I can tell you what you just said to me, Mum. I think you just told me, and you want me to understand... That would be the great place to learn, wouldn't it? If we could get off our little horses and stop trying to think that everybody's trying to control our lives and start to listen to what's being said and share with the one who's instructing us, we might learn some really powerful things. You might not have to go through the difficult times that you're going through because you'll have learned from somebody else who went through them beforehand. And that would be wise, wouldn't it? Um, is this the verse we're up to? I do, do two, two then. No, this is the one. Then in verse 7 it says, And do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now this is the principle of sowing and reaping. So you see uh, Darren Bray, who's not here today, has just sown some seeds in his veggie garden. He, sew, he sowed... Um, I don't know what seeds he sowed, but he sowed them and he tells me they've all come up. He will be surprised if what comes up is not what he sowed. That will have been that somebody's messed with the seed bank. Whatever you put into the ground, it will come up. Whatever you sow into the ground will come up. If you sow corn into the ground, corn will come up. If you sow radishes into the ground, radishes will come up. If you sow uh, potatoes into the ground, potatoes will be in the ground. Whatever you sow will come up. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And uh, he says, whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit, 
from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So you have a choice here. In your life, you have a choice in terms of sowing. Did you know that you are going to sow? Wherever you are, whatever you're going to do, you're going to sow. You cannot not sow. Whatever you do, you will sow. When you get up in the morning and you begin to walk through the day, your life begins to sow things. You either sow peace into the house or you sow contention into the house. You either sow cooperation and you work as a team or you sow, sow, sow independence and, and aggravation and anger into the place. You sow in whatever you, whatever you do, you're sowing something. The manner of your life is giving out something at the point of giving it out. And as you're giving it out, it's going to bring forth fruit. If you sow harsh words, don't be surprised if harsh words are growing up around you. If you sow gentle words, don't be surprised if gentle words come up around you. If you sow uncontrolled behaviour, don't be surprised if you see uncontrolled behaviour happening all around you. Whatever you sow is going to be what you reap. That's the rule. God is not mocked by this. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit. I mean, that's a, that's a key right there. If you wake up and you hear what I'm saying, and listen to me now, you can start this week on Monday, you can start sowing something different. And you can see by the end of the week, a whole new different way of life because you sowed something different. You can hear me now and you can say, oh yeah, I'm just listening to you and not listen to what I'm saying. Or can you hear me and take it on board? I'm going to sow to God. I'm going to sow to the Spirit. I'm going to spend time in the Spirit. I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to spend time singing praises. Or you can sow to the flesh. I'm going to play my all clans game or whatever it is called. I'm going to play my loud music. I'm going to play my video games. I'm going to, I'm going to play with the flesh. I'm going to Play with what I like to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. At the end of the week, you'll be closer to hell or closer to heaven because you're sowing something all the time. You'll have a harmonious relationship in the house or you'll have fighting and bickering in the house because you are sowing something all the time. And God has said it very clearly. He said, you will not escape what you sow. I will not be mocked. Don't think that you can do this stuff and get away with it. He says, it's coming. Whatever you sow is coming back at you. You won't escape it. Which is a nice thing, really, because it gives you a choice, doesn't it? It gives you hope. And the hope is, if you can think this one through and play forward and say, I want to sow to Jesus today and sow to his spirit, you will find you will reap that. It will come back to you. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. See, whatever you sow to, that's going to come back at you. Some of you lived that life with a guy who was partying. Who were the party animals here? Put your hand up if you were a party animal when you were younger. Self, you, can, you can put your hand up if you're a party animal. I was a party animal. I liked the party. When Jesus came into your life, put your hand up if the party stopped for you. It stopped for me. I lived both of those lives. Some of you haven't yet. 
Some of you are looking and saying, I wish I could go and party with them, but my mum and dad won't let me. <laughs> yeah, because your mum and dad been at that party. And they know that nothing good comes in that party. A whole lot of addictions, a whole lot of lifelong regrets, a whole lot of problems, and sometimes even death comes to you at a party. And when they say, don't, and I said to my kids, you know, for a long time, Nathan wasn't allowed to go to parties. You want to go, grade 12, I mean, he's a big boy. He could grow a moustache at grade 12, and he wants to go to a party. He wants to go to a party where the guys are, you know, and it's, you know, it's the last year, it's the end of year party. Your mum, I say, no, and the mother says, okay, you know. So I say, okay, fine. So mum took you, didn't she? She drove you to the party? She went out, oh, Oh, we, I know, because, because she got just a little bit out. She dropped you off there and she drove away and there was a phone call. You rang up. You can't remember. We remember these things. I'm not making stories up. No, you called your mother and she had to go back and get you because there was drugs and stuff at the party. You don't remember that? No, no, no. No, you didn't because we come and got you from it. No, you can't remember that? Am I kidding like my, my mother? Yeah. Oh dear. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to check with my, my wife, but I, I think there was a, it was either one of them, but I thought it was you. It wasn't you? No, it wouldn't have been Renee, and I'm sure it wasn't Jade, but I thought it was you. But anyway, there may have been some party you were going to. That's what I, I'll get the re recollection right, but that's in my mind. I, I can see that very clearly. But anyway, it could be wrong, couldn't it? But I don't think it is. But anyway, you'll find that there are situations in life that you can quite comfortably go toward and if you go toward them, you'll be regretting that you ever did. And there's a little small voice inside you that says to you quite clearly, don't go there. Don't go there. And if you've given in and you go there every day, you just go there and that's what you do because that's the way you do it and the little voice, somebody outside says you shouldn't go there. Don't damn them and think that they're wrong and everything. It might be God's last chance for you saying to you through another person, it's time for you to stop because you're not hearing it here. You're not hearing it in from the Spirit. So he sends someone little to you and talks to you from the outside and says, you need to stop that. That may be your last port of call. I'd stop and listen. Amen? Let us become not weary in doing good. For at the proper time, he says in verse 9, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So sometimes it's hard when you start doing the right thing. You know, when you're going in life and you keep on doing the right thing, sometimes it feels so like, why do I have to keep on pushing against everybody who wants to do the wrong thing? Some mothers and some fathers feel like that. They keep on pushing and the kids keep on saying, oh, they want to push the boundaries, push the boundaries, push the boundaries. Why do I keep on pushing? It's because if we don't give up, we'll reap. Sometimes you say, all right, I give in. You can do whatever you want. I'm just going to let you go and do whatever you like now. And that's the worst thing because most parents in the world do that. They say, it's too late. I don't care. Do whatever you want. He, actually, here's some money and go and do it. Don't bug me anymore. And they leave the door open and they abandon their children and they abandon responsibility. They abandon morality. They abandon the things that they should be doing to protect their children. They abandon them. They let the children do whatever they want. And the children run amok because there are no adults who care enough to protect them so he tells us not to give up doing good for at the proper time if we keep on going we'll reap a harvest if we don't quit he says therefore if somebody has opportunity let him do good to all people 
He said, so your attitude should be for everybody, doing good to everybody, try and help everybody out in life. He says, and especially for those who belong to the family of believers. So you look around the family of believers, which is the people that you're sitting with now, and you'd be thinking to yourself, you know, I want to help people. Where should I help? I should start helping here first. If I can help someone here, that's great. You know, I've got to help people all around the place, but if I can help here, I'll start here in my home. That's a good place to start. Amen? Then he changes the subject. So Paul's now going on and he starts talking to them about circumcision. Now, the Jewish view of circumcision was that they, the guys would get circumcised because it was a sign that they had a relationship with God in the Old Testament. If, a, if a, an Old Testament Jew was, was not circumcised, he was, he was accursed. He didn't have a relationship with God. Circumcision was a, a sign of a relationship with God. It was so important for the Jewish man. That, that, was, that was just a done, and they did it on the eighth day, and if it wasn't done, you'd go and get it done straight away. Anybody who wanted to become a Jew would go and get it done. That was the way it was. So when they became Christians, and, and Jews became Christians, and then Gentiles became Christians, the Jews figured, you know, we've been doing this all our lives, you know, getting circumcised. That's what we have to do. So the Gentiles have to get circumcised as well, because that's the little thing they have to do to make sure that they're part of the family, you know. They want to be like the, the, the others, you know. And so they started putting this weight on people's lives, or a religious duty on people's lives. Before you become part of the club, you have to jump through these hoops. You have to do all these things. And then if you do these things, then you can be one of us. So your salvation wasn't premised upon the fact that Jesus made you new and made you part of the family of God. Your salvation was premised upon the fact that you could actually do this physical thing to make you part of the club. And Paul was wanting to say, that's rubbish because, you know, even the people who get circumcised don't keep all the rules. It's rubbish. He says, whether you're circumcised or not doesn't matter. He says, what really counts is the fact that you are a new creation. He says there, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's saying... Yeah, just join the club because then nobody will give you a hard time. And, uh, and we don't want anybody to have any problems with us because we're not doing the thing that joins the club. So, you know, we want everybody just to get smooth here, you know. And he's saying, no, there's some things that you've got to say no to. And that was one of them. He says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Because something that you do, like, for instance, let's talk about um, a modern day version of circumcision all right you might um you might say okay you're going to have to pay 10 percent of all your offering to come into the church cut it off and put it in the church offering every sunday if you get a thousand dollars a week you're going to have to put a hundred dollars in the offering box every sunday that's what you do because you're going to cut off that part of your wage and saying that belongs to God and they're going to have your heart. It's going to be circumcised because it, you think that that's going to get you into heaven because you keep 10% just for God. You think that, that that little religious duty that you do is going to make you give you weight with God? Does it make you generous? No, you might do that and you might feeling proud the fact that I give 10% of my offerings and it goes in the box and I earned $8,000. So I put 800 and you know, and I, I, grow, I tithe of my gross, not of my net, my gross. And then you see, it doesn't help you in your spiritual life. 
It doesn't help you because you do that. And Jesus says anyway, he owns it all. Not just 10, not just 10%. He owns everything that you have. So he says, you know, what you want to do is recognize that he's living inside of you and whatever he tells you to give, that's what you should give. Whatever he tells you in your heart to, to put in the box, that's what you do. And if today he tells you to put three times as much as anybody else is putting it because he's told you, woke you up at night and says, put 30% in today, then that's what you do because you just love Jesus. And if this, next week he kisses you, can, you, don't bother about it this week. That's what you do because you love Jesus. It's not governed by what you do. It's not governed by a religious duty. It's governed by your relationship with God. God loves a cheerful giver. And out of the heart comes the idea that God is looking for generosity of heart. He's not looking for duty. He's not looking for setting a thing and saying, well, this is what I'm going to do and I'll do this every week. As though that's going to... You won't get to heaven even if you put money in the box. And it won't stop you from being wrong during the week and doing wrong things. It's just a thing. Doesn't mean that you don't give. It just means that you recognize that God is doing something different in your life and you don't have to do duty to get there. So, so just go back this one. I wanted to, he says, Those who want to impress you, he says, um, verse 13, he says, Not even those who are circumcised. Um, okay, now, wait, 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which He has been crucified, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. This little verse here is the centre of all of our overcoming power, right there. Because you can't overcome if you're still alive to the things of the world. There's a there's a there's a sort of like a, a principle that says if you can see the sin and you can think about the sin, that you're probably going to do the sin. It's got to like, if you focus on it, it's like when you're riding a bike, if you look at the ground, if you're learning to ride, you'll end up on the ground. You've got to learn to lift, your, to learn to balance and look ahead. That's what keeps you up. If you look at sin, sin gets you every time. If you conceive sin, and, and it's in your heart and in your mind, and you're dwelling on it, once you conceive sin, it works itself out into your body and you, you do the sin. So the secret is to be dead to sin. It's to be crucified to sin. And Paul says, May I never boast in the cross except may I never boast except in the cross, Jesus Christ through whom the world has been crucified to me. So what what is he saying there? He says, when something worldly comes on and starts to play for my attention, what's it going to find when it comes to me? If I am crucified. Well, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to think, you know, I don't think I want to do that. I'm going to look at that and say, I really don't even enjoy the idea of that. You know, that whole idea has so many problems. Uh, that's a worldly idea. And you're going to switch the world off. It's like you're going to, that, the world is crucified to you. There's nothing in it that you want. Part of the problem of our lives is that we love the world. We love the sin. We love the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We love, we love those things, just like a child loves pushing down the seat. It loves doing it because it makes a sound. We love the sin because it, it gives us a, a feedback. And Jesus says, you know, if you have love for sin, you don't have the love of the Father inside of you. So you say, okay, God's got love, but if you love the thing that you're doing that is wrong, and it's the world is alive to you, 
and you just want to party and do that thing all the time, then you will do it. But the love of God is not in you. God may love you, but the love of God is not in you. Because you're alive to the world. The world has to be crucified to you. So there's got to be... It's like, I can't go there because it's dead. The whole thing is dead. It, it's out. It's taken out. And then he says, he says, and I have been crucified to the world. So it's on both stands. It's, there's nothing out there that is enticing me and I'm here. And even if something came into the room, I'm dead to it. I'm not even going to respond to it. There is the key to overcoming right there. Because you won't sin if you hate sin. You won't sin if you are dead to sin. You won't sin if you are alive to God and doing what God wants you to do. You won't keep on habitually sinning because the sin works on the fact that you are alive to it. So think about the things that you enjoy doing, the things that God says, maybe you shouldn't do that, hey? And think about the reason why you keep on doing the things that you're doing that you know you shouldn't do. And you'll find that you haven't said, I'm going to put that one to death. Because if you said you're going to put that one to death, then you would probably stop what you're doing and move away from it because Jesus would help you. Remember it says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, it says, For the grace of God that has appeared and offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives and godly lives in this present age. That's God's grace. It comes to us. It sits with us and it's with us and he helps us. He says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And then he says, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God, from now on, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit, brothers and sisters, forever. Amen. When he said the, great, the marks, he, he was saying, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. He was saying, I've got scars on my body from being beaten. I've got scars on my body from doing the right thing, not doing the wrong thing. He says, I can show you what it is to walk uprightly before God because of the marks on my body. He says, don't give me any grief. I'm trying to tell you how to have victory. Look after each other. Care for one another. Recognize sin is contagious. Don't go there. Help the people who are in need. You, you Carry your own load. Don't compare yourself to other people. Talk to those who have been talking to you and communicate them and listen to what they have to say and Talk back to them and let them know that you're listening and you're, you're hearing what they're saying. And don't drop into silly rituals to try and do the right thing by doing rituals. Don't live in the ritualistic place. Live in a place where you're walking with God's Spirit and love the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh, sow to the Spirit. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life. He says, listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. I can show you in my body, the scars on my body, because I've walked that way and I've lived in that way. And he says, so God give you peace as you understand that message. So that's Galatians chapter 6 in a nutshell. Amen? Take some confidence from that. Listen this week. So to the Spirit. So to the Spirit. So to the Spirit. That's an active thing. 
turn to the person beside you and say, what are you going to do to sow to the Spirit this week? Okay, now did they say, I don't know? If they said, I don't know, ask them, I'll come and ask you again. Or do you want some ideas? <laughs> okay, okay, around the room, Green. We, we've stopped. Uh, we've stopped taping this now. Give me some ideas how you would sow to the spirit. Talk to me. It might be as simple as sitting with somebody, listening to somebody, and, and, and asking them how how can you go through life? Yep, and and taking Jesus to them. Yeah, how else could you sow to the spirit? Sorry, Mum. I could sit and do some knitting and sing to the Lord. Yeah, that's a lovely thing to sow to the Spirit. That's doing something, knitting. Are you making somebody a jumper? It's making somebody a jumper. That's a nice thing. And then singing to the Lord. How else could you sow to the Spirit? See, my neighbour is going through some difficult times. I'm going to go over and talk to my neighbour and see if they, can, they need a hand. I'm going to reach out to my neighbour and invite them over for tea or something. They're that's sowing to the Spirit. How else would you sow to the Spirit? You might go to the van on Monday night and say, can I help give out and dish out food and then sit down and talk to some of the homeless guys out there who, who need somebody to talk to, who've got a lot, of, a lot of grief inside. That may be a way to sow to the Spirit. How else, how else would you sow to the Spirit? If I look at you, there's a weight and a pressure that builds up, isn't there? <laughs> okay, there's an idea. Know that you're doing something wrong and try and change that to a right so that you don't do the wrong, you do the right. That's addressing a problem, you know? That's turning the problem around. Yeah. What do you reckon, Chris? How would you sow to the Spirit? Christopher? Think about it. I'm coming back to you, Christopher. Encouraging somebody. Like you sit down and you read something, well, that's an encouraging, and they say, oh, and, you, and, and a, a person comes into your mind and you send them an email with those words on them. That's sometimes, it just drops into your head sometimes. I must send it to so-and-so. Non-judgmental. Don't jump to judgment. So there's a comparison there in judgment. Don't be judgmental. Can you see how you apply this to your life now? Sowing to the Spirit. Tell me how you sow to the flesh. You go, go to a party or look for, for a party to go to. Okay. Oh, some, some, you eat healthy. You mean you eat lots, <laughs> sowing to the flesh? Yep. Christopher, how would you sow to the flesh? That would be sowing to the flesh, playing, playing a game, being controlled by a game. Yeah, okay. How many other people here play... Don't, don't put your hand up. I bet a few of you play games. Did you know that games are really, really addictive? They're probably more addictive than, than a lot of other stuff. 
and that when you start playing those games, they have a little thing in them that just helps you get addicted to them. It's an amazing how many addictions are out there. How many addictions do you think there are out there? To me, what, five, ten? Every time you look at something, it's addictive. It seriously is. Which tells me one thing, that the devil's out to kill you and destroy you and to, to take you out. That's what he's out to do. He's out to actually destroy you and completely take you out. That's what he wants to do. And he, do, he doesn't play fair. The devil doesn't play fair. So let's stand up. Let's ask ourselves the questions, do I really want to follow God hard? Do I want to do what God wants me to do? Do I love Jesus enough to say, I love you so much, Jesus, I just want to be with you and I do what you want me to do? Do you love him that much? Is that your desire? Let's pray and ask Jesus. Jesus, help us. Help us to love the spiritual things more than the fleshly things. Help us to die to the world and have the, our lives crucified to the flesh, Lord Jesus. Walk with us, Jesus, this week and talk with us this week and control us and guide us and lead us, I pray. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. If you think that you need to sort of make a step toward him and say, Lord, I just did the wrong thing this week and I know it. I want to put my hand up and say, Lord, I want to, I want to do the right thing. I want to start anew this fresh, a fresh week this week and sow to the spirit, not sow to the flesh. I want to start this week and, Lord, I've listened. You've spoken to me and I want to respond to you now. Just put your hand up right now and just let Jesus speak to you. All right. Okay. Father, I pray for those who've indicated that you've spoken to their lives, Lord Jesus, and I ask you to strengthen them on the inside. Lord, let your spirit so speak to them tomorrow and this afternoon that as they get tempted to, to do the things that they normally do, Father, that they would resist temptation, they would resist the devil. And Lord, that you would cause them to triumph, Father. Lord, help them, give them an alternative, Father. Give them something positive to do rather than the negative that they're doing. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.